The New York AG announces a major announcement before the announcement ever happens. Minneapolis says we will not disband our police department and a massive ballot measure coming up here. Aid starts arriving in Beirut and the world brings out their uh, money to give to this place. And Biden will no longer go to the DNC. Plus, we will do a thing that I like and a thing that I hate. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Alright, sorry for the late start, guys. I had one of those, I was still up at 1 a.m. and tried to figure out why I was still up at 1 a.m., but I was just kind of laying there looking at the ceiling wondering, man, I wish I could be asleep right now. And part of that was because I stayed up singing a little bit later than I wanted to because, you know, I got a little bit more of the passion for music coming back into me thanks to one Mr. Stephen Ignoramus. It's all his fault, and I will blame him for that there, but, yeah, I... Couldn't get to sleep. But we are here. We've got a ton to get to today. We cannot skip Contemporary because this season of Federal Apprentice is just starting to get good. They've got another announcement that they had to announce in an announcement. They couldn't just come out and say it. They had to announce an announcement so they could get all the press in there and make sure that everybody could be at the front row for this. So we'll talk a bit about what's going on there. But before we get started, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. We've got my show. We've got Stephen Ignoramus' show. We have got the Generational Gap. We've got the Freckles and Brit show, the R-rated conservative, and the Breakdown with Birkenhoff, which is coming back today after a couple-week hiatus because he was out on a backpacking trip. But he says he's coming back today, and I believe that he is because... Wyatt Birkenhoff would not lie to me. So go over there and check that out. Check out our page, pick up some of our swag, and help us support great creators. All right, let's start out with the stocks here, which look like they were pretty good yesterday. Uh, well, we uh, capped the 27,000 mark again. I was about to say another rallying day, up 1.39% and up to 27K, which means that retirements are going to start looking good once again. Once again, the Dow is not the economy, but it does really help out on people's retirements, and people do want to retire at this point, especially if they're not going to be going back to work. So it'll look good on their retirements, but let's see what's going on with the stocks. Let's check in with some of the experts here from Investors Business Daily. Dow Jones Futures, big stock market rally winner, dives on earnings. Roku falling out of friend zone from Ed Carson. Dow Jones Futures fell modestly early Thursday along with S&P 500 Futures and NASDAQ Futures. The stock market rally made more progress Wednesday amid coronavirus vaccine progress, continued stimulus talks, and generally positive earnings. Fastly, one of the big winners in the coronavirus stock market rally, reported strong earnings and revenue late Wednesday. Roku, HubSpot, and Zynga reported earnings after closing on or near buy points. Fastly stock stole off hard in extended trade. FSLY stock shows the danger of buying right ahead of earnings, especially with stocks that have run up sharply. HubSpot stock and Zynga stock rose overnight, signaling possible buying opportunities. Roku stock pulled back into the gray area. On the futures, Dow Jones futures were a half percent below fair value, with S&P 500 futures down a half a percent. NASDAQ 100 futures sank 0.3%. Gold prices at record highs rose slightly early Thursday, while silver futures soared. Yeah, well, 
with everything else that's going on around the country and what we're seeing out of New York right now, it is probably time to go and get your gold. It is probably time to go and look into that because we don't know what's going to happen even later on today at this point. I'm really interested in seeing what this announcement is, but I'm going to tell you right now, if this is what I think most of America thinks that it is, if they're going to railroad somebody that hard over the fact that they don't like him, think of what they're going to do to you and me. I would start getting a little bit into that gold because gold is never not valuable. At 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, weekly jobs claims data are due. The last couple of reports have suggested the economic recovery is stalling somewhat. Remember, pre-market action in Dow futures, Fastly stock, Roku stock, and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. So that's what we've got to pay attention to coming up with here. The video game stocks, that's the one that got me. HubSpot and Zynga are both uh, mobile game companies. So people are throwing those microtransactions around, which means they've got a little bit more money to spend, or they're just that bored, one of the two. Or they're watching a bunch of commercials. So a couple things going on with that there. We'll be keeping an eye on this. Let's move on and look from Yahoo Finance. Stock market news live updates. Dow jumps as investors eye vaccine updates and strong earnings. Stocks rose on Wednesday as investors considered a spate of updates around the company's coronavirus vaccine development and distribution plans alongside a batch of stronger than expected corporate earnings results. Now that is where it begins. I feel like I'm missing a part of that story. All right, anyway, let's keep going here. Johnson & Johnson announced that it had entered an agreement with the U.S. government to manufacture and deliver 100 million doses of its Janssen units investigational coronavirus vaccine candidate. Meanwhile, Moderna CEO Stephanie Bansell offered more details on pricing plans for the company's own vaccine candidates, saying some customers could be charged between $32 and $37 per dose. Shares of CVS advanced after topping expectations in second quarter results. Healthcare company CVS grew profit more than 50% over last year as costs in its healthcare benefits unit fell. The company also raised its full year profit guidance. Moderna's revenue of $66 million was more than double consensus estimates and the company said it remained on track to finish enrollment for its phase three coronavirus vaccine trial in September. Disney stock rose more than 8% to lead the Dow higher after the company reported mixed third quarter results Tuesday evening, but expectedly eked out an adjusted profit per share despite broad-based business disruptions due to the pandemic. In a move to begin rolling out its backlog of films not yet released in theaters, Disney said it would release its live-action Mulan starting on September 4th on Disney+, Plus, with the streaming platform now boasting 60.5 million Global subscribers, Disney also plans to launch a new streaming service under its Star brand. Oh, so we gotta pay more to watch Star Wars. Is that what this is gonna be? I don't know what the Star brand is, so. Wednesday also brought the first of several major economic data reports this week on the state of the labor market, and the print drastically missed expectations. The ADP national employment record shows private employers added back a net 167,000 payrolls in June, whereas consensus economists expected additional or additions rather of 1.2 million. Private payrolls had increased by an upwardly revised 4.314 million in June. So that's what we're seeing around this, and yeah, this is something to definitely watch, and especially as we go into the rest of the news here because it is getting spicy up in here. 
this country doesn't really know what's going on, what to do, and what to think, and what they're going to throw out at us next. So, a couple things to look at here as we go along. Let's keep going here from the New York Times, a former newspaper. Archived, of course, you guys can see that over on the mainstreaming platforms. If you are on Instagram and seeing this here, head on over to the link in my description where you can see this broadcast along with all of the articles sitting up behind me. But let's read on from the New York Times. Trump's bank was subpoenaed by New York prosecutors in criminal inquiry. The subpoena sent to Deutsche Bank suggests the inquiry into President Trump's business practices is more wide-ranging than previously known. From David Enrich, Brent, uh, Ben Protest, William K. Rashbaum, and Benjamin Weiser. The New York, New York prosecutors who are seeking President Trump's tax records have also subpoenaed his longtime lender, a sign that their criminal investigation into Trump's business practices is more wide-ranging than previously known. The Manhattan DA's office issued the subpoena last year to Deutsche Bank, which has been Trump's primary lender since the late 90s, seeking financial records that he and his company provided to the bank, according to four people familiar with the inquiry. The criminal investigation initially appeared to be focused on hush money payments made in 2016 to two women who have said they had affairs with Mr. Trump. But in a court filing this week, prosecutors with the district attorney's office cited public records of possibly extensive and protracted criminal conduct at the Trump Organization and suggested that they were also investigating possible crimes involving bank and insurance fraud. Because of its long-standing and multifaceted relationship with Mr. Trump, Deutsche Bank has been a frequent target of regulators and lawmakers digging into the president's opaque finances, but the subpoena from the office of the DA, Cyrus R. Vance Jr., appears to be the first instance of a criminal inquiry involving Mr. Trump and his dealings with the German bank which lent him and his company more than $2 billion over the past two decades. The district attorney's investigation is one of the most serious legal threats facing Mr. Trump, his family, and his company, which in recent years have faced, and for the most part fended off, an onslaught of regulatory, congressional, and uh, criminal inquiries. But while the subpoena of Deutsche Bank indicates the breadth of Mr. Vance's investigation, the inquiry is still at an early stage, a person briefed on the matter said. Yeah. No, they're going in, they're looking at anything that they can possibly get on this guy. And once again, if they will do it to him, think of what they're going to do to you if they don't like you. This is something to actually pay attention to as we're coming up here. How they treat people that they don't like anymore and how they feel they can get away with this. Because it is a little bit eerie to me to sit back and watch this. I don't know about you guys, but it's just a little bit eerie to me to sit back and watch this happen to somebody that they had ample opportunity to go and do this to at many other stages over the past few years, especially. But I've got a little bit more on this one here from Fox News. New York AG Letitia James to make major national announcement. James is one of many Democratic state attorneys, general, with a history of being highly litig uh, litigious, is that how you pronounce that? Against the Trump administration. From Tyler Olson. New York AG Letitia James says she will drop big news at an event Thursday morning. James, in an email that was shared online by a CBS reporter, said Wednesday night that she will make a major national announcement without going into further detail. It will be held at the New York Attorney General's office in Manhattan. The event will be streamed live online. 
It's not clear exactly what James will speak about at the event. The AG recently, as Wednesday, posted online about her efforts to counter the Trump administration's actions on the census and abortion. James is one of the many Democratic state attorneys general with a history of being highly litigious or litigious against the Trump administration. James's announcement was released after the New York Times published a story late Wednesday that Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance subpoenaed President Trump's financial records from Deutsche Bank. The outlet reported that the bank complied. The Times, however, reported that Vance's probe was still in its early stages, citing a source. James is a former member of the New York City Council and was elected to her current office in 2018. So, we will be looking for that, especially. I kind of wish I could just call him to work at this point because I wanted to live stream this if possible, but it doesn't look like that's going to, I mean, this is going to be a last minute thing, but yeah, I would actually love to sit back and live stream this and just see what you guys think about this as we go along. But unfortunately, circumstances are not right for that at this point. So let's keep going on down. We'll save this one here because I know we'll be talking about this on Monday. From Politico, speaking of political theater, Yates says Obama, Biden didn't influence the Flynn investigation. From Kyle Cheney, former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates told lawmakers Wednesday that neither President Obama nor Vice President Joe Biden attempted to influence the FBI's investigation of incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn during a January 2017 Oval Office meeting with top national security officials. During the meeting, the President, the Vice President, the National Security Advisor did not attempt in any way to direct or influence any investigation, Yates said during sworn testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee. The testimony counters repeated insinuations by President Trump and his top allies that Obama and Biden took a leading role in steering an investigation into the incoming National Security Advisor, a charge that Trump has used to claim he was the victim of an unspecified crime he has dubbed Obamagate. Trump has provided no evidence to support the claim, and Yates said under oath that Obama's only interest in Flynn was to ensure that it was safe to share sensitive national security information with the incoming administration, while the FBI was probing concerns that Flynn was attempting to undermine sanctions leveled by Obama in response to Russia's interference in the 2016 election. General Flynn had essentially neutered the U.S. government's message of deterrence, Yates said. Flynn pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI in 2017 about those efforts, which he made during a series of phone calls weeks before Trump's inauguration, with Russia's then-U.S. Ambassador Sergei Kislyak. Transcripts of those calls show that Flynn urged Russia not to escalate in response to the Obama administration's sanctions, and that Kislyak later told him that Putin refrained from retaliation because of his request. So, hey, no, we're not in a trade war with Russia over something that didn't exist in the first place, and they're still looking at this like a bad thing. So, yeah, Yates got up there. I've got another article on her as well there, but yeah, it looks like, oh, no, no, Obama didn't do anything. No, don't don't look over here. I mean, his name was on every single document. Well, his name wasn't on every single document, but Biden's was definitely on every single document that got released off of this. And you still expect me to buy that he had nothing to do with this. No, I don't fucking buy any of this. But let's go and see what uh, Fox News has to say about this from over there, from Ron Blitzer. Yates, Comey went rogue with Flynn interview. 
Former Deputy AG Sally Yates told the Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday when the FBI interviewed then-incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn in January 2017 it was done without her authorization and that she was upset she found out about it. Committee Chairman Senator Lindsey Graham asked Yates about the circumstances surrounding the interview, particularly the actions of then-FBI Director James Comey. I was upset that Director Comey didn't coordinate that with us and acted unilaterally, Yates said. Did Comey go rogue? Graham asked. You could use that term, yes, Yates agreed. Usually I do a Lindsey Graham impression. I didn't do that today. Yates said she also took issue with Comey not telling her that Flynn's communications with then-Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak were being investigated and that she first learned about this from President Barack Obama during an Oval Office meeting. Yates said she was irritated with Comey for not telling her about this earlier. That meeting, which took place on January 5th of 2017, was of great interest to Graham, who wanted to know why Obama knew about Flynn's conversations before she did. Graham and other Republicans have speculated that Obama wanted Flynn investigated for nefarious purposes. Yates claimed that this was not the case and explained why Obama was aware of the calls at the time. Yates said that after Obama placed sanctions on Russia, the Kremlin vowed to take retaliatory action, only to suddenly change course. She said Obama wanted to find out why, which led to the Justice Department discovering Flynn's talks with Kislyak. Those discussions included a conversation about sanctions that Obama had placed on Russia, with Flynn encouraging Russia not to retaliate too harshly because the incoming Trump administration would be different than the Obamas. The purpose of this meeting was for the president to find out whether, based on the calls between Ambassador Kislyak and General Flynn, the transition team needed to be careful about what was sharing with General Flynn, Yates said, noting that the meeting was not about influencing an election, which would have set off alarms for me. Handwritten notes from then-FBI agent Peter Stroke indicated that Joe Biden, who was vice president at the time, may have mentioned the Logan Act at the January 5th meeting. The Logan Act is a 1799 law that prohibits unauthorized American citizens from communicating with foreign governments or officials in relation to any disputes or controversies with the United States or to defeat the measures of the United States. It has never been used successfully to prosecute anybody. When asked if Biden mentioned the Logan Act, Yates said she could not recall. She did say that Comey spoke about the Logan Act, but she did not remember if he said this during the Oval Office meeting or in a conversation afterward. So, yeah, just like the title on this article says, she just threw Comey under the bus. Comey is going to be the human shield that protects everybody else that came up into the previous administration. And, well, he trusted them, and that was probably his fault. So, yeah, there's plenty going on with the story here. Uh, we will, once again, be talking about this on Monday because this was not as big, I think, as some of the other things that we've seen go up before, before the House and the Senate, but this was a big one to sit here and watch. All right, let's move on here to more electioneering. From the New York Post, three teens arrested after illegally entering Mar-a-Lago with an AK-47 in a backpack. Was it broken down? That doesn't seem like that would fit in full assembled form. Okay. Three 15-year-old boys in Florida are reportedly in custody after inadvertently trespass inadvertently, huh? trespassing on Mar-a-Lago property while carrying an AK-47 as they tried to flee the police. 
The bizarre scene unfolded Friday around midnight when Palm Beach police noted the teenagers parked in a Hyundai on the road, about two miles from President Trump's club, the Palm Beach Police Department told the local NBC affiliate. When police approached the vehicle, the driver took off, initiating a short car chase, according to the report. The teens eventually ditched their vehicle right near Mar-a-Lago and allegedly carried a backpack containing the rifle as they fled onto the property. Club security found the bag containing the rifle and a 14-round magazine on a seawall. But not the seawall that uh, we like in this show. The boys were later detained on the property. When a cop asked the group about the rifle, one of them allegedly told the officer he found it. All three now face charges of armed trespassing, armed burglary, and resisting arrest without violence. Police told the station that the teens didn't realize they were inside the U.S. President's Resort, and they had randomly ended up on the grounds as they attempted to evade capture. The teens are being held at the Juvenile Assessment Center in West Palm Beach. Police have not released their identities yet because they are minors. So, yeah, I, I mean, this was a clickbaity title, of course, coming from the New York Post, but, I, yeah, I don't think this was near as bad as they tried to make it out to be, like, Teens with an AK-47 going on to Mar-a-Lago. This is going to be bad. Well, no, it's... As far as I can tell from this, and I could be wrong, but this was uh, mostly innocent, for the most part. But we'll be watching this. If anything else develops out of this. I don't think we need to save this one, though. Rioters attack police station in Portland suburb, try to burn it down, attempt to run over police with a truck. This is from Ryan Saavedra over at the Daily Wire. Rioters attacked the Portland Police Department's East Precinct on Wednesday night, which is in a residential area, and reportedly tried to run over police officers while fleeing the scene after attempting to set the building on fire. Late at night, a group of a few hundred people blocked traffic, shined a green laser at police officers, attempted to tear down protective boarding on the building, and worked to disable surveillance cameras in an attempt to conceal their criminal activity. A member of the group peaceful protests. A member in the group was seen attempting to tear the surveillance camera off the front doors of the East Precinct. Other people in the group began spray painting the cameras as well as the front doors of the precinct. Lots of members of the group were seen wearing helmets and carrying shields. Several people in the group began to ram a large 2x4 into the front glass doors in an uh, effort to shatter them. That's a cop shop. You're going to want something a little bit more stout than a 2-inch uh, by 4-inch piece of pine. And all of your skinny little bodies. Just saying. The Portland Police Department said in a statement, other members of the group slammed different heavy out large objects into the glass doors as well. The objects included large rocks. By 9.50 p.m., those who had been destructing the East Precinct glass doors successfully cracked them causing significant damage, the department continued, since serious ongoing criminal behavior continued. A riot was declared at 9.56 p.m. At 10 p.m., the front doors of the East Precinct were barricaded, and a fire was started using plywood and an accelerant. When officers moved to disperse the rioters, they were hit with projectiles and commercial-grade fireworks. The department said because of life safety issues uh, created by members in the group, CS gas and crowd control munitions were used while dispersing, or, yeah, dispersing efforts continued. A truck associated with the group attempted to run over several officers. Portland police said the officers were pelted with large rocks that were the size of shot puts and had to repel attacks from the violent rioters two more times 
over the following two hours. Journalist Andy No, who testified this week to the U.S. Senate, is an expert on Antifa, tweeted out videos of the attacks on the police station. Yeah, no, usually the glass on the front of the police station is a bulletproof or bullet-resistant glass. So, a 2x4 carried by several 90-pound Portland kids isn't exactly going to go through it. But yes, keep in mind that these are all the most peaceful of the peacefulest protests, and they're not going to go to the suburbs either. No, they're just going to go on the federal property, and it's all peaceful. Just keep all of that in mind as they go to the suburbs and violently riot. All right, let's keep going. From the New York Post, once again, proposal to disband uh, ban Minneapolis police brought, uh, blocked from ballot. This is from, uh, to the New York Post by the Associated Press. Uh, Minneapolis Commission decided Wednesday to take more time to review a city council amendment to dismantle the police department in the wake of George Floyd's death, ending the possibility of voters deciding the issue in November. Members of the Charter Commission expressed concern that the process to change the city's charter was being rushed after Floyd died following an encounter with the police. While several commissioners said changing the police department was necessary, they said the amendment before them was flawed. Several said that it faced legal barriers, was created without input from key community members who oppose it, and that they gave too much power to the city council. It's appropriate to explore the transformational changes in the department, but it needs to be done thoughtfully, the commissioner Peter Ginder, who voted in favor of taking more time, that hasn't been done here. The five city council members who authorized the proposed charter amendment released a statement criticizing the decision, but said they will continue to work towards transforming the way the city provides public safety. They said they plan to put an amendment before voters in November of 2021. It is not our legacy to use bureaucratic processes to circumvent people in an attempt to protect voters from themselves, said Councilmember Jeremiah Ellison. This is not democracy, and in a democracy the people decide, but I guess today the Charter Commission decided otherwise. Keep in mind, that is the son of Keith Ellison, I believe. Yes. The proposed amendment followed widespread criticism of law enforcement over Floyd's death. It would have replaced the police department with a Department of Community Safety and Violence Prevention that backers said would take a more holistic approach. Oh my God. What kind of nonsense is that? Department of Community Safety and Violence Prevention that Backer said would take a more holistic approach. Yes, that actually says that. Wow. I don't even know what to say to that. That is amazing. I'm going to look at something here. I got something playing in the background. Hmm. I have audio playing on my computer, and I mean, it's not going through you because I have uh, no desktop audio in, but I can hear it. And it appears that it is coming from uh, OBS itself. Give me just a second here. Let me go fix something.
I fixed it. It was the video from uh, last week's podcast was playing an autoplay over uh, in the web browser over there. All right. Sorry about that, folks. I didn't want any of that to bleed into you guys. All right, let's keep going here. Which was, uh, wasn't fully defined. The proposal did allow for armed officers, creating a division of licensed peace officers who would have answered the new department's director. Let's get the live chat back up here. The council says, trust us, we'll figure it out after it's approved. Trust us. Well, I don't, and we shouldn't, said Barry Clegg, chairman of Charter Commission. Charter change is too much or too important. The 15-member commission, made up of volunteers appointed by a judge, voted 10 to 5 to take another 90 days to review, uh, review rather the proposed amendment. Most of those who voted against taking the extra time said they would recommend rejecting the amendment. Yeah. Like I've said before, I'm going to take my real estate license at this point because they're going to keep doing bullshit like this and people are going to flee Minneapolis and hopefully they're going to flee Minnesota as well. But yes, there's going to be a lot of flight coming out of Minneapolis. And they're just going to let it descend into chaos the rest of the way. And all I can say is come on over the river. There's plenty of room over here. We'll find you a house. If not, we'll find you a plot of land and we'll build you a house. We like to build things in this state. Just leave your voting over there. Don't vote the way that you did in Minnesota. That's the only thing. All right. So that is that. Let's save that one here. From the Hill, Michigan governor signs order calling racism a public health crisis. From Marty Johnson. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed an executive order on Wednesday officially declaring a ra uh, racism a public health crisis. In an effort to elevate black voices, the order also mandates that a state advisory council centered around black leadership be created. Additionally, Whitmer wants the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to have all state employees complete implicit bias training in an effort to make health uh, equity a major goal. We must confront systemic racism head on so we can create a more equitable and just Michigan. Whitmer said in a statement, well, here's the reality, Whitmer, you are the system right now. So if there really is systemic racism, which there isn't, you're the system. And it's the system that put you into power. God help that system. All right. Where was I? This is not about one party or person. I hope that we can continue to work towards building a more inclusive and unbiased state. That works for everybody. Michigan isn't the first state to declare racism a public health crisis. Colorado and Wisconsin have done so recently as well. Yeah, but nobody gives a fuck what Evers thinks. On a more local level, municipalities in 19 states have taken similar steps, including California, Pennsylvania, and Texas. Many of the declarations come after the American Public Health Association declared systemic racism a public health crisis at the beginning of June, shortly after Minneapolis police killed George Floyd, a black man. Floyd's death regalvanized the Black Lives Matter movement, and so did the election year, spurred nationwide protests that have been happening for most of the summer. So, yes, it is a public health crisis that 10 people in the country are racist. That 10 people want such a pure bloodline that they fuck their cousins and tell everybody how bad other races are. That's, that's a public health crisis, people.
All right, let's keep going. From Fox News, Los Angeles to cut off water and power to properties hosting large gatherings. From Brittany Delea. Wow, that's draconian. Wow, this is going on to the point of unpersoning. If you don't go by our rules, we won't put you in prison, but you will not be allowed to buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. This is getting scary as shit, people. Los Angeles homeowners who violate the city's coronavirus-related safety measures may find themselves on the receiving end of some unwelcome consequences. During a press conference Wednesday night, Mayor Eric Garcetti authorized the city to shut off power and water to properties, including houses and businesses that are in violation of gathering regulations, as a means to shut these places down permanently. By turning off that power, shutting off that water, we feel we can close these places down, which are usually not one-time offenders, but multiple offenders, Garcetti said. He noted that local law enforcement officers are having a hard time dealing with gatherings where there are hundreds of people who are breaking the law. We know we can do this, Garcetti said, responding to a question about the measure's legality. The authorization comes as the state battles a recent surge in confirmed cases. According to the mayor's office, L.A. has had 198,000 cases as of Wednesday, as well as 4,825 fatalities. Citation needed, please. Other states are having similar issues as local leaders ask residents to adhere to distancing guidelines. So, just remember, everybody, all cops are bastards if they go out and arrest somebody for committing actual physical crimes against another person, but hey, they are the first line of defense against people gathering in their own homes that they paid for, or their own homes that they rent. They are the first line of defense against people who would violate the evil coronavirus restrictions, those evil people that would violate those restrictions. Then the police are the first line of defense, and they're the only thing that's keeping you safe. Give me a fucking break, people. Ah, yes, peak stupidity right here. This comes to me courtesy of Fritz from over on FritzCast. From WDEL 1150 AM and 101.7 FM, Delaware's News Radio. Newcastle County vehicles joining the fight against COVID-19 by getting face masks. Yes, you saw that right. They are getting face masks, as you can see in the picture here. This comes to us from DJ McKenney. Uh, residents of Newcastle County are going to start seeing some new modifications to the uh, county vehicles spotted on the roads or making appearances at public events. Face masks. Newcastle County has entered into a partnership with locally based Carver Ties to help promote the message of wearing a mask to prevent the spread of novel coronavirus COVID-19. Public health safety messaging is going to be a large priority, said Mac McLeod, Carverdye's CEO, at an event at Foley Stadium on Wednesday announcing the campaign. Knowing the administration, they like to be creative, they like to be bold, they like to be resourceful, and they like to do things that other county governments are not doing. So, we hopped on the phone with Matt, his team. They wanted to be the first county government in the United States to leverage their own fleet, turning them into models of messaging Vehicles to help curb the spread of COVID-19. How many of these cars do you think are going to overheat? The county will wrap 11 vehicles, including paramedic and public works. Are you fucking stupid? 
and public works trucks in 3D surgical face masks wrapped on the front bumpers promoting the team mask message. So let's go and look at this picture once again. These are not around the front bumper. I mean, yes, they are up on the front bumper and up around the mirrors, but these are full on covering the grills in the middle of August in a temperate zone, which means it is hot as balls outside. And they want to do this with the ambulance that runs on a diesel engine too. Wow. I mean, they look to be somewhat breathable off of this, at least. Like, you can see the grill through the uh, through the F-250. And you can see the grill through the Taurus. But still, in the middle of summer, I would not be wanting to restrict any airflow coming into the grill. I mean, I've had trucks overheat just from mosquitoes and other bugs in the radiator. And that's having a clear, open-ended radiator. I've had vehicles overheat with that. So no, I, okay, wintertime, if that's what you want to do, that's probably not the smartest idea still, but it, it's at least more acceptable to do in the wintertime, especially up in Delaware, but no. You are going to overheat these vehicles, especially this one here, which appears to be a diesel engine vehicle. You're going to overheat these vehicles, and then you're going to blow engines. This is great. This is peak. 2020 right here. For those of you over on Instagram, I really suggest you head on over to the YouTube link that's in my bio and look at this because you, I mean, everyone else that's watching this that's not on Instagram can see the picture up here. And those of you listening later on the audio platform is going to be the same. We do have video accompaniment to this and you can actually see the masks on the vehicle. Meanwhile, the guy at the podium is sitting here with his mask pulled down. Keep that in mind. I just caught that just now, but yeah. I don't know if you can see my cursor, but this guy right here, mask pulled down while he's sitting there speaking at the uh, podium. This is great. I know where this is going come on Monday. You know, Elaine is actually going to start watching this show if she figures out that I pull all my surprise stupidity from this show, and then it's not going to be a surprise anymore. All right, let's keep going, though. From Fox News, Trump mocks fake reporter Jim Acosta says CNN doesn't have sources on coronavirus task force from Brian Flood. President Trump slammed CNN chief White House correspondent uh, Jim Acosta as fake reporter who doesn't actually have sources on Wednesday while blasting CNN as pure fiction. Trump was presumably made aware of a report by Acosta headlined, Trump still not grasping at the severity of the pandemic, sources tell CNN which claimed an anonymous source said the task force officials have had trouble convincing the president to take the coronavirus pandemic more seriously. Sorry for the hiccup there. CNN has no sources on the task force, Trump tweeted. Their sources are made up. Pure fiction. Jim Acosta is a fake reporter. CNN's public relations department quickly responded directly to the president with a tweet. False. Acosta is a real reporter with real sources, who talks to members of your task force much more often than you do. Acosta has made a name for himself in the Trump era for his hostile exchanges with the president and members of his administration. He regularly shouts questions when it isn't his turn to speak and famously struggled with a White House aide for possession of a microphone during a 2018 press conference, resulting in a legal skirmish over whether or not he would be able to cover the White House. So, 
yes, they're getting out here and making this all about the reporters once again. And it's wildly entertaining to come out of this here. And Jim Acosta is the worst one of it. I mean, when you've got your own meme on the Daily Wire, and Andrew Clavin does say it best when he brings us out there, the impression of Jim Acosta is, CNN reporter says, look at me, I'm Jim Acosta. Look over here, look at me. End quote. So, yeah, they're going back into it after one after another here. And this, and of course, you know that if it was uh, Madam Hillary, Chancellor Hillary, or dipshit Biden, I couldn't come up with a good term for him, but dipshit Biden works. It would be just all peaches and cream. They'd all be waiting in turn, waiting in line. They wouldn't have anything negative to ask about them. But because it's the evil orange man, it's... Oh, well, come over here. Look at me. This is going to be all about me. I'm going to be the most famous reporter. I'm going to be the reporter that takes down, uh, I'm going to be the reporter that takes down the president. He's going to get impeached because of me. All right. So that's what we're going to see out of this here. From ABC News, international aid arrives as Beirut searches for answers following massive explosion. Now we got just a little bit of stuff going on over here on the foreign side. I don't do a lot of foreign correspondence because I don't know enough about foreign governments to do so, but there is something that's going or a few things that are going on we do have to pay attention to. First off, the Beirut explosion from Guy Davies and Iptisim Gwynfoud. Probably butchered that last name. The loved ones of missing gathered around the site of the explosion in Beirut on Thursday as residents of the city continued to clear debris from the streets two days after the devastating blast. The Lebanese health minister said at least 137 were killed in the explosion with 5,000 people injured and at least 100 still missing. One American has been confirmed as being among the dead and several others injured, a U.S. State Department spokesperson told ABC News. President Michael Aoun has declared a two-week state of emergency, three days of mourning, and has vowed that those people responsible for the blast, which sent shockwaves through the entire city and beyond, would face justice. Up to 300,000 people have been rendered homeless, Beirut's governor said on Wednesday. French President Emmanuel Macron landed in Beirut Thursday morning, promising unconditional aid and support for the population as international assistance arrived in the stricken city. We will organize things so that aid can go to the ground, can reach the Lebanese women and men, he told reporters after soon after landing. This is what we need. We need to be there. We, will, we won't let go. I think that was way more German than French. I tried. He also spoke of the need for significant reforms to the Lebanese society, saying, if these reforms are not made, Lebanon will continue to sink. Another French plane will soon arrive with investigative resources and search teams, he said, as officials piece together exactly what happened. A plane donated by the UAE, carrying 20 tons of World Health Organization supplies, arrived at Dubai Wednesday night, which will help cover thousands of trauma and surgical interventions, the WHO said. The blast left three hospitals in Beirut non-functional and two hospitals partially damaged, leaving many facilities overwhelmed with a critical gap in hospital bed capacity, the WHO posted on Twitter. Patients are being transferred to hospitals across the country as far as South Sida and North Tripoli. 
The U.S. is also now providing immediate humanitarian assistance to the Lebanese government, a spokesperson for the U.S. Agency for International Development said. Other countries have begun setting up field hospitals in the city. So, yes, private charity and definitely some public charity as well is jumping up and picking up and trying to help Beirut, which is a good thing. I think it's a great thing. I've heard good arguments to say that this is an attack. I've heard good arguments to say that this was an accident. I don't know where this is at the point. I don't think this was nuclear, but I do see the fact that we looked up and we saw a mushroom cloud, but mostly comprised of steam because this did happen right on the coast. So I don't know what happened. The already conservatives is convinced that this was an attack. The mainstream media is convinced that this was just a happy accident. But I think this is going to become a bigger news story than what we saw initially on the first couple days. So. We'll see what happens there. From the New York Post, explosion at Chinese chemicals factory kills six people, injures four from Yeren Steinbusch. Six people were killed and four others injured in an explosion on Tuesday at a chemical factory near the Chinese city of Wuhan, according to a report. For as big as that country is, there sure is a lot of shit that happens in Wuhan. You notice that? The blast occurred around 5.30 p.m. local time at the local factory of the Lanhua Silicone Company in Zhantao, a Hubei province city, some 1.5 million residents, about 70 miles southwest of Wuhan. The Daily Mail reported, okay, so it's not exactly in Wuhan. It's near, but still. More than 100 first responders, including firefighters, paramedics, and environmental officials, rushed to the scene to search for survivors, according to the news outlet. Three out of the four injured remain hospitalized. Some residents of the area said their windows were shattered by the force of the explosion, the Daily Mail reported, citing Hubei Radio and TV. The company was ordered to halt its production immediately, while officials demanded a citywide inspection by companies to eliminate potential hazards. The cause of the explosion is under investigation. Industrial accidents are common in China, where safety regulations are frequently not strictly enforced. In March of 2019, 78 people were killed and hundreds injured in an explosion at a chemical plant in eastern Jiangsu province, according to the Daily Mail. Four months later, 15 people were killed in an explosion at a gas plant in central China. And in November of 2018, a truck carrying combustible materials exploded near a chemical factory in the northern city of Zhangjikao, killing 23 people and injuring 22 others, the outlet reported. So yeah, no, they have no safety practices over there, which is the reason that so many people send so much manufacturing over there, because they don't give a damn about their employees. They have suicide nets. I mean, you can actually see the suicide nets sitting outside this, I think that's what they are, sitting outside this factory here, so that when people jump, they survive. And they can be put back to work. So yeah, there's absolutely no safety regulation going on in China. They can just kind of do whatever the hell it takes and another explosion off of this. But, you know, when they do blast a major factory like that, that is going to be hard on their economy no matter what because somebody else has to pick up the slack for everything they were exporting at the time. So, yeah, there's a couple things going on here. China is having some stuff go on right now and nobody's talking about it. We're going to do another quick review here on the Three Gorges River before we jump back into U.S. politics. From the Nikkei Asian Review, China braces for typhoon as Yangtze uh, floodwaters remain high. 
From CK10, Nikai staff writer. From Shanghai, China, where uh, torrential rains since June have raised the water of major rivers well above safe levels, is now bracing for Typhoon Hagupit, which is expected to sw uh, slam a swath of the east coast on or tonight. The National Meteorological, uh, Meteorological Center has issued a yellow alert, the second lowest on a four-color scale. The move requires authorities in Shanghai and neighboring provinces, such as Zhejiang and Anhui, to go into crisis management mode. Hagupit will be the fourth typhoon to reach China this year. It's packing maximum wind speeds of 72 kilometers per hour at its center. The Meteorological Center is also warning that two to three typhoons will hit in August. The average for this month is 1.9 typhoons, going back to the country's founding in 1949. Elsewhere, China remains on high alert due to two months of downpours that have inundated cities along the Yangtze and Wahi Rivers, the Three Gorges Dam, the world's largest hydropower plant along the Yangtze, has been put to the test as it deals with the worst flooding to hit China since 1998. The dam was completed in 2003. As a precaution, authorities in the southern city of Sanya on Wednesday, or Saturday closed all tourist spots in Fujian province's coastal cities. All fishing activities are halted as of today. Fujian, across the strait from Taiwan, is not in Hagupit's path. The government on Saturday called for all-out efforts to mitigate flooding and aid post-disaster recovery, acknowledging risks from high water levels in rivers and lakes and behind dams. So yes, the biggest hydroelectric power plant in China is getting ready to buckle at this point. We don't know if it's going to bust or not, so it's definitely being tested here, but they keep throwing more and more rain at it, and more and more flooding is going to happen. And This is going to be another one of those things where if it busts, it's going to take a chunk out of China's economy. in a spot where they're not ready to take a chunk out of their economy. So that's something that we need to keep an eye on too. Our mainstream media won't cover it because they're too busy going after the evil orange man, but this is something that we need to keep an eye on. All right, let's shift back into U.S. politics for a couple of stories here, and then we'll do a thing I like and a thing that I hate, and then we'll get the hell on out of here. Hey, maybe we'll be under an hour today. It's been a while since we've done that with all the crap that's been going on in the country, but maybe we'll maybe we'll get under an hour today. Let's see. Squad member Rashida Tlaib delete, uh, defeats primary challenger Brenda Jones, CNN projects, from Claire Foran. Freshman Democratic representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan has prevailed against a Democratic primary challenge from Detroit City Council President Brenda Jones, a CNN projected Wednesday morning. In Michigan's 13th Congressional District, Tlaib faced a rematch in Tuesday night's Democratic primary against Jones, who beat her once before to serve out the remainder of former Representative John Conyers' term, but lost to Tlaib in the full-term election for the seat in the heavily Democratic district. As a member of the so-called progressive squad, Tlaib, who made history in 2018, along with Minnesota Rep. Ilhan Omar as the first two Muslim women ever to serve in Congress, has a number of built-in advantages as she runs for re-election, including high name recognition, the ability to raise significant amounts of money, and devoted national following. At the same time, however, Tlaib has faced controversy over some outside-the-mainstream political positions, and at times she's faced criticism, including from Democrats, over statements related to Israel. I feel I have a really good chance at actually winning and returning back to my seat to represent the people of the 13th Congressional District. 
Jones told CNN in an interview in June. Jones describes herself as a centrist Democrat, saying, I don't consider myself to be far to the left. I don't consider myself far to the right. Well, in today's political terms, that means that you are a Republican, neocon Republican, not a Democrat anymore. I mean, hell, JFK would be a Republican by today's standards. Tlaib, however, narrowly won out against Jones in a six-candidate Democratic primary held at the same time to determine who would serve out. The next full term for the congressional district, Jones lost by fewer than 1,000 votes in the race. So, yeah, it was pretty tight here. I do have to wonder how deeply blue Michigan 13 is and if there is a chance that somebody from the GOP or even an independent, a friend of Justin Amash perhaps, could jump in there and possibly do something. I don't know. I don't know anything about Michigan or its congressional districts, but I wonder if somebody like that could jump in and take the reins because, I mean, this woman is an idiot. So you have to wonder if this is a district that's actually somewhat in play or if this is a district where a glass of water with a D on it could win in the district. But we'll see off of this. From ABC, Biden will no longer travel to DNC to accept the Democratic nomination amid pandemic. Which means that once again, a presidential candidate from the Democratic Party is not going to visit my state. I don't care. Keep them the fuck out of here. They don't like him anywhere other than Madison and Milwaukee anyway. But yeah, just keep them the hell out of here. From Molly Nagel, Kendall Carson, John Verhovic, and Beatrice Pearson. Former Vice President Joe Biden and the rest of the planned convention speakers will not travel to Wisconsin for the quadrennial Democratic National Convention, according to a release from its committee on Wednesday, citing health concerns with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. And, of course, health concerns from letting Joe Biden come out of his basement and speak out loud. After ongoing consultation with public health officials and experts who underscore the worsening coronavirus pandemic, the Democratic National Convention Committee announced to, uh, today speakers for the 2020 DNC will no longer travel to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in order to prevent risking the health of our host community as well as the convention's production teams, security officials, community partners, media, and others necessary to orchestrate the event, the release said. Now, Milwaukee has not had as hard of protests as other places like Portland here, but I do have to wonder if this is strategic because where, they're, they, where they were having the convention was right in the middle of the hotbed of where the, all the protesting would be, which means that any of the graffiti, any of the vandalism, any of the boarded up windows, and anything else that would have been shown on camera would have been right down in that very particular area where they were going to host all this. I know where they were going to host it. But yeah, anything that would have uh, been to deal with the protests that got out of hand would have been right there. And like I said, it wasn't as bad in Milwaukee as it was in other places. But yeah, anything that still hasn't been repaired is going to be right there, ready to see for the world. Plus, the fact of the matter is, is you can't let Joe Biden out of his basement. He is going to talk. They're doing everything they can to keep him in the basement so he doesn't talk. Because he will get eviscerated in the debates. And all, every, anytime he comes out to make a speech, he, ha, he runs another chance of coming out there and saying something really stupid. He can't help himself. 
He's in the late stages of Alzheimer's. But they want to elect him president because anything but the evil orange man. So, nope, they're not coming to this uh, state. They don't care about this state. They don't care about the small businesses that would benefit from them coming to the state. And they're just going to leave it alone. So, that's what that's going to be. That should have been a thing that I like today. I really think that should have been, but I've got better things that I like today. So, we've done the news for the day, and now we're going to do a thing that I like and a thing that I hate, and we're going to get the hell out of here. So, as most of you know, especially over in the Instagram community, when I was traveling with Stephen Ignoramus, he took his guitar with him, and he gave a six-hour concert from the passenger seat of my truck between the states of South Carolina and the District of Columbia. He just kept going for the entire uh, direction. And that really sparked a lot more interest in music. And he's been responsible for a spark in a rekindling of my interest in music. I kind of let off it for a little while. It was a little bit from lack of self-confidence. So I just, I sat up last night really late after Beauty and the Beta and just was looking through songs that I used to like to sing before I got really depressed. And I remembered I started listening to Anne Berlin when I first came back from Massachusetts. Now, they don't have a very, very detailed website, just kind of what album would you like to see us perform on live stream, a black screen, an online store, and their faces off of this. But this was a band when I was going through the emo phase that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, they've got some songs. The singer sings at the approximate same uh, level that I like to sing at, as far as pitch and uh, tone and other musical terms that I don't actually know, but I think makes me sound smart. His voice is similar enough to mine that it's more comfortable to sing along with their songs than anything else off of this. Except for their one note in the song Impossible that is just a little bit outside of my reach. But it was one of my favorite bands for a while, and I, I actually stopped listening to music for a while when I started getting into this because I needed to listen to so much news, and I'm really looking back and regretting it now. So the thing I like is Anne Berlin and doing music once again, singing, picking up my guitar every once in a while and practicing, actually learning how to play again. Because it's been, it's as long as it's been since I've sang, it's been even longer since I played the guitar. So going back and doing some more of that again, and once again, for the fact that I stayed up late and sang to practice once again, because I do want to put an album out at some point as well, I blame Stephen Ignoramus for the fact that I stayed up late. Because it was his fault. He influenced me. All right, now let's do a thing that I hate. From the Daily Wire, a lot of men are trash. Tommy Laren posts a 14-minute PSA for boyish men. From Amanda Prestigiacomo. On Monday, political pundit and Fox News host Tommy Laren put out a 14-minute video addressing her and her friends' issues with men. The segment, prefaced as a helpful guide for men entitled PSA for Boyish Men, stressed that men over the age of 20 from across the country, from Texas to Nashville to Los Angeles, do not know how to treat women and are generally trash, though there are exceptions, she said. I consider myself a teacher, a helper, someone who could possibly inspire people to be better, started Laren. So with that being said, this PSA for all the men out there and all the boys that think that they're men, but they're actually boys, this is going to be the summer of canceling boys. Yeah, this is some feminazi bullshit coming out of Tommy Laren, who made her name as, I'm, I'm such a tradcon woman. I, I'm going to go on the news and I'm going to be such a tradcon. I'm not going to be a feminist. I'm going to be a little tradcon. 
and I'm smoking fucking hot, and they're going to put me on the screen because I'm smoking fucking hot, and I don't read the Democrat bullshit. All of my friends are attractive. All of my friends are successful. All of my friends have something going on. Almost every single one of them have an issue with men, the pundit outlined. Adding if all... Oh, we gotta go and say goodbye to Instagram here. I just got the 30 second warning off of here. So those of you over on Instagram, head on over to the link that's in my bio after this and go check out the YouTube channel. Uh, would definitely be love to have you over there. Love to have you up in the chat, but thanks everybody who watches this now and watches this back processed in the future. All right, let's keep going here. All of my friends are attractive. All of my friends are successful. All of my friends have something going on. Almost every single one of them have issues with men, the pundit outlined, adding if all these women, including myself, are having issues. Then I, th I have to think it might not be us. It might be you. It might be men. I've often talked about the pussification of America and how men are no longer men, Laren continued. It's not just the guys in Los Angeles, Nashville, Dallas. They're not any better in the Midwest. They, quite frankly, I think they're all trash in this country in the age range of about 22, I think about 55, maybe even 60. What a fucking bitch. My God. A lot of men are trash. A lot of men don't know how to treat women, the 27-year-old continued. A lot of men don't know how to really, quite frankly, pull their heads out of the sand and pay attention. So I'm going to help you. So one of these things as well, going off of this, and somebody pointed this out on Beauty and the Beta last night, is the fact that, I mean, Laren being where she is, especially trying to pass herself off as a trad wife and a trad con, because that's what she wants to be, has really priced herself out of the market for a lot of the people that would be suitors for her. I mean, yes, every little liberal in Los Angeles and Houston and Madison and New York and places like that are going to think that she's absolute bottom of the barrel trash because she's a conservative. And they think that she just wants women to be in the kitchen except for her rules for thee and not for me, which I could kind of actually see that in some of the rhetoric that she says. But yes, she, she has kind of priced herself out of the market for people that are going to be looking for the traditional conservative lifestyle that a woman like Tommy Lahren tries to preach on to other people. But the thing with Tommy Lahren, of course, is the fact that she is 27. By most standards, she is smoking hot. I'm, she's not really my type, but by most standards, she is absolutely smoking hot. She's very successful. She's got a bunch of money. Some opportunist is going to sweep her up. And I think Blonde was right on Beauty and the Beta last night. I think she was absolutely right. Within a year, we're going to be seeing wedding photos of her in tabloids and in mainstream news outlets and all over Fox News. So she's coming out here. She probably just got dumped or realized that she made way more money than whoever she was dating and decided to move on along that way. She's going to get some... Alpha Chad from some other news network or some business tycoon or something else. Somebody else who's not going to pay attention to her at all. She's going to be married and that's the last you're going to hear of this. So, yeah. That's what we're going to see out of this here. And, yeah, just the fact that, like I said, you've priced yourself up out of the market. And with given the fact that you're a millionaire at this point, you're going to be intimidating to a lot of the farm folks and a lot of the people that are wanting to have the trad life that you seem to advocate for. And that's the thing that I hate. So, that's what we have here for the day. 
We will be back here tomorrow to cover more news and probably talk a lot about whatever the hell this press conference is that's coming up in a couple hours. So make sure that uh, you check that out here. We'll be back on this channel tomorrow on Instagram, on DLive, on YouTube, on Periscope. Not on Facebook. That's not working again. So I'm going to go and figure out why that's not working. But we'll be back on all the rest of the mainline platforms tomorrow. And we will also read the names of everybody who chatted in the live chat through the week to thank them for taking the time out of their morning to spend the morning with me. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.